John chapter 10, as we go through John's gospel here. Let's just read through verse 21, just to kind of get this whole dialogue here. So it says, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not eat, enter by the sheepfold, or does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other ways, is the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to kill, or sorry, except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and my she I know my sheep, and am known, known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I also know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again." No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many, said, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So first off, I just wanted to point out there may not be a division here between chapters 9 and 10. Okay, chapter 9, if you read the end of it, um, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for their blindness. It says um, in uh, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the blind man. And he went and found the blind man, and he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is speaking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who uh, see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin re remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. Okay, so it's, it's almost like there's not, a, there's not a break there. He just goes right into this dialogue about being the good shepherd. And it goes into this, um, this illustration, what it calls it in chapter 6, or literally a proverb or a, a dark saying, a figurative saying. So um, when thinking about this, a, a sheepfold was a stone enclosure. I have a picture of this. Go to the next slide, Garrett. So this is, you know, I drew this and everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, 
it's a stone enclosure. It'd probably be, the stone walls would be about six feet high. You know, they've uncovered a lot of these in, in Israel and stuff, so it's not hard to figure out what they look like or what they were. Um, and it had one opening or gate. And as you can see here, the shepherd is sitting in the gate, tending the sheep or the doorkeeper. Um, now, thieves would break in. They would have to climb the wall. So it would be a two-man job. You're thinking about a five- to six-foot uh, stone wall. You know, you got to kind of lift one up. He's going to go in there. He's going to slit the throats of some of the sheep and toss them over to his buddy. And that's how they're going to steal them, right? And it's going to be quiet. They're just going to take them, cut them, and then, and then throw them over. And so they're thieves and they're robbers. A thief is someone who steals, maybe undercover, like Judas. Judas was a thief. A robber in the, in the original Greek would be more like a, what we would consider more like a mugger. He's going to take it by force, by violence. And so a thief and a robber, you can kind of see the picture that this is giving here of somebody coming in, harming the sheep, killing the sheep, and then throwing them over. They take them off, take their wool, whatever it is, and they make stuff out of it, sell it. Um, but the shepherd would go to the doorkeeper. And the doorkeeper was somebody who was hired to take care of the sheep, maybe to watch them by night. Because there would be one sheep um, pen, okay, uh, or fold or, or whatever, in a, in a given neighborhood or a given town or something like that. And so several families may keep their sheep in this pen, which just makes the illustration that Jesus is giving that, that much more uh, pointed. Um, so the, just imagine the shepherd go, going there. There's all these other flocks or folds in there, right? And he calls his sheep out by name, and they follow him out. The doorkeeper opens to them, but there's still other flocks in there. How come they don't follow him as well? Because they don't know his voice. And just think, the, the shepherd, he may have a, a certain thing that he says. He may have a song. Some, some scholars say that the shepherds would actually sing to their sheep. Maybe they whistle, I don't know. But Jesus actually calls his sheep out by name. What a good shepherd. What a good shepherd. Who is the, the doorkeeper? If you were to assign the position of doorkeeper to someone in Scripture, who would it be? I would say John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist comes on the scene. He points out, this is the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world, Right? In Isaiah 40, verse 3, and this is speaking, John the Baptist actually um, says, this is speaking of him. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a desert, in the desert a highway for our God. And then in verse 10 of Isaiah 40, it says, Behold, the Lord our God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So you can see that this uh, voice, one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And it's followed up by the, this prophecy of the shepherd who would come and he would carry the sheep in his bosom, right? Carry the young. What did John the Baptist say when the Pharisees came out in the wilderness to be baptized? You guys remember? It was a really nice thing that he said. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that was to come. Right? That's what John the Baptist said of these false shepherds, of these evil men 
who are taking advantage of God's flock. And so he didn't open the gate to them. He didn't open for them. He opened for Jesus Christ. Some have also said that it was the prophets of old, those who wrote the books in the New Testament that opened up the way um, for the Messiah. And sure, and I would say all of us, if you're a minister of Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, if you are proclaiming his name, and guess what you are doing? You're preparing the way for someone to receive the Lord. Right? It's an awesome responsibility that we have to do that. So now again, let's put this in context. Jesus is speaking to those who had just abused one of his sheep. Right? He's speaking to those who had just cast the blind man out of their synagogue. One of God's sheep, one of God's people, and they cast him out, they abuse him. They say, you were born in sins. They were vile to him. They were cruel to him. And they cast him out of the synagogue, which if you remember, if you're cast out of the synagogue, you are a social outcast as well. No more can you buy, no more can you sell, no more can you do business. Your friends, your family, you are an outcast. You're the black sheep now. But he really did belong to God. Because he heard his shepherd's voice and he followed him. What does it say? It said, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is speaking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He worshiped him. He began to follow the Messiah. I always wonder what happens to these guys because we're not given a name. Was he in the upper room on the day of Pentecost with 120? I don't know, he's in Jerusalem. Perhaps maybe he was. You know, I don't know, that's pure speculation. Um, but, so just, but just think of the picture that Jesus is showing here. The good shepherd and then these false shepherds, right? These hirelings. So I want you to go to Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel chapter 34. So you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Because I don't believe that anybody should have heard Jesus' words here and not thought of Ezekiel chapter 34. Okay? So starting in verse 1, Ezekiel 34, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings and you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God. So that's Adonai Yahweh, Lord Yahweh. Surely because my flock has become prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, 
but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that, I, that they may no longer be food for them. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his, his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from among the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pastures on the mount of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. The fat and the strong would be those false shepherds. And just think of the Pharisees of this day. They were all about themselves all about serving themselves, about the people glorifying them. Jesus over and over goes over this. They're hypocrites, right? They stand on the street corners and make these loud prayers and blow a trumpet when they tithe and stuff like that. They're all about themselves. They shepherd the people of Israel for themselves. And it should not be. And the Lord is saying, the good shepherd is here. You know, from verses 11 to 16, the good shepherd is here, the one who binds up and heals the sick, who finds and goes and looks for the sheep and gathers them in. That is the good shepherd, and he cares for them. And then what else did Jesus say is a characteristic of a sheep? So look back at verses 3 through 5 again in John. It says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Remember, the, the shepherd goes to the sheepfold to the pen, and the doorkeeper opens to him, right? And he calls them all out by name. Now, according to Revelation 2.17, we're given a white stone, right? It says in 2.17 of Revelation, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, this could be the name of the Lord. Okay, because in chapter 3, he says, he talks about his new name. That he will have a new name. But um, it also could be that we receive a new name. God's always changing people's names, Right? Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude. Sarai to Sarah. Think John and James, sons of Zebedee, to sons of thunder. I want that name. That's just a cool name. Sons of thunder. Um, he's always changing their names. And the shepherd knows the name. It's a name that's perfectly fitted to the sheep. You know, I just wonder what some of these names are going to be. It's going to be something like, you know, you know, something to do with bravery or um, fortitude. I don't, I don't have no clue. I just know my name's probably going to be Doofus, you know, or Dopey. I was thinking of the, uh, the seven dwarfs. I'd probably get Dopey. 
you know, trip over my shirt tail as I'm walking. You know? But um, it's going to be perfectly fit to us. It's going to be beautiful and glorious. It's going to fit us so much better than the names our parents gave us. But do you know your shepherd's voice? He says, my sheep hear me, and they know my voice. They know my voice. They're familiar with me. When he calls, do you come? When he directs you, do you heed? Because you know his voice. Do you know his voice from your own voice? That's what gets me. Do you know his voice from your own voice, from the voice that's, you know, stuck in here? Because a lot of times we say, the Lord said, and you're a false prophet. Because the Lord did not say that. Right? Be very careful speaking on behalf of the Lord. I think there's going to be a whole lot of Christians who have misrepresented the Lord because they went off their feelings and off the voice in their own heads rather than God's voice. God's voice. And also, this isn't like modern shepherds. You know, you ever, you ever seen a herd of sheep? They all have tags on their ears. I don't know what they put in. Is it a number that they put on there? Haven't spent much, spent much time in a, you know, around sheep or anything like that. Um, they tag them. They put a number on them or something. We're not just a number to the Lord. He knows our names. He knows our names. He knows your name. It's awesome. You know, but have you spent time with him? Are you well acquainted with his voice? Are you well acquainted with his voice? When he calls, do you come? When he gives direction, do you heed it? You know, Adam and Eve, they knew his voice, right? In Genesis 3.8, this is after they sin, they're hiding, naked, covering themselves with fig leaves. It says in verse 8, Genesis 3, it says, and they heard the sound or voice um, Sound could even be like a song, like a musical instrument. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And cool is rach, which means um, spirit. It's the word for spirit. Every single translation translates it as cool or the breeze of the day or something like that. I believe that this is the exact time when they were supposed to meet with him. Right? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they hear his voice. They know it's him and they go and hide. And what's the Lord do? He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Why, because God didn't know where he was? No. Because Adam didn't know where he was. Adam was supposed to be meeting with him, but his fellowship is broken. Adam, do you know that your fellowship with me is broken? And then what does God do? He pronounces the consequences of their sin. You know? But then he also covers them. He slaughters an animal for them. The first sacrifice in the Bible, God does it. And he covers them with animal skins. And he gives them the, the prophecy of the Messiah, John, 3, or John Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, speaking to the serpent. You will... Um, Bruises heal, but he will bruise your head. Now he gives them the prophecy of the coming Messiah who would come and make all things right. 
That's one thing. If you know the voice of your shepherd, he's going to encourage you, right, towards him. He's going to bind you up. He's going to heal you. He's going to love on you. So again, do we know the voice of our shepherd? Think of the apostles. Jesus called them. And what do they do? He says, the sons of Zebedee, they drop their nets, leave their father, go off that boat. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at his tax booth, and he just takes off to follow Jesus. He says, follow me, and they go. They know their shepherd's voice. They know their shepherd's voice. You know, the best experience or illustration I can think of of this is my dog. You know, sheep aren't like dogs. Sheep can't defend themselves. They're much dumber than dogs. Did anybody see that, that post on, it was on Facebook or YouTube, and it has this, um, sh- this sheep that's stuck in this hole? You can't even see it, and the shepherd goes up, grabs its legs, and is pulling it out, and the, the caption was, sometimes Jesus has to do this to me. You know, just pulling him out of this hole. That's a lot like us. Um, but a dog can defend himself, so it's not a very good illustration, but it's the closest thing I can get. You know, and I had this German shepherd named Jimmy, who even if you had a stake in your hand, he probably wouldn't come to you unless I walked him over there. You know, he knew my voice. You could, anybody in here could call him. He would ignore you until you're blue in the face. But the moment I called him, he would come. You know, my dog now is close to the same. She's a border collie. She'll come when I call him, but if you had a piece of steak in your hand, she would love you to death. You know, if there's a squirrel, she's chasing the squirrel. You know, I figure that's kind of like me. You know, that's like a lot of us. What do we do? We listen to our shepherd's voice until something that we want to chase comes along. Until sin raises itself up. Until the lust of our flesh, lust of our eyes, the pride of life gets enticed, Right? I want you guys to go to Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Because I was thinking about this, and how many times do we miss the Lord's voice? How many times do we miss spending time with him, miss being in his presence because of something? How many times does he come and he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks, and we ignore him? Because we have something else we would rather do. Something else we would rather listen to. How many times have you been sitting there in front of the TV or you're driving in your car and you're listening to a good song and all of a sudden you just know you're supposed to pray? And have you quenched the spirit by saying, well, after the song, this is my jam, you know? And you just quench the spirit. So Song of Solomon chapter 5. So you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon, I believe it's, it's, it's a theological purpose to show Christ in his church, okay? Christ in his church. So this is the Shulamite, the woman speaking, starting in verse 2 of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. It says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. 
I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? So the Solomon, or the man, says, For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. She says, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hands by hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. And the thought is that most um, scholars say that the, this was kind of like his calling card. He, he anointed the door handle and the lock with, with a myrrh, and it dripped. And so she reaches around and touches it, and it smells like him. It smells like this gift that he had for her. She says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. So this woman is woken up by her love, right? He knocks on the door. She says, you know, I just went to bed. My hair's, you know, I got my little nut thing on or whatever it is. You know? My feet are clean. And didn't have nice floors like we do. She'd have to walk through the dirt probably to go let him in. She makes all these excuses not to go open for him. By the time she gets there, he's turned away. He's gone. So how many times have you known that you're supposed to slip away with the Lord? To go and be with him. Maybe it's just for a few minutes. Maybe it's for a day. Maybe it's for an hour. Who knows? And you make up excuses. Say, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing this right now. Like there's something more important than our Lord. How many times have we done that? We sleep in. I'm not going to get up and read and pray this morning. I'm going to sleep in a little bit. You know? Or something just sounds so much better than coming to church. Something sounds so much better than coming and being a part of the fellowship, worshiping God, worshiping, singing to him, listening to his word, having hearts that are ready to obey. And we think, I'd rather do this. I'd rather do that. It's Bronco season now. You know, and I'm sure they'll probably have a game where they play at 11, 10. We'll see who the faithful are. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying... You know, not being legalistic, like if you don't come to church, you're going to hell or something like that, right? But check your heart. Check your heart. And you know what? When I don't want to come is usually when I'm the most blessed. You know, when I don't want to go and do an outreach, it's when I'm the most blessed. Say, man, I would have missed out on that. I remember when I was first a Christian, and this is many times how it is. Think of your, your wife or your husband. When you're first dating them, what do you do? You would do anything to go see them. You would do anything. You would drive by their house just to get a glimpse. You know? How many times did you do that to me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, you would do anything to see them. And you get married, you're married for a few years, and what happens? You become familiar with the person. Yep, his breath is going to stink. I don't think I want to go over there. You know? Or he just, you know, it's just so common. 
Like a lot of people, when they come to Colorado the first time, they see the mountains and everything, and they're wowed with them, just in awe of the mountains that we have here in Colorado, the beautiful landscapes and everything. What happens, you live here for quite a while. It becomes second nature. I mean, when was the last time you just really gazed at the mountains and said, wow, those are amazing, you know, if you've lived here for a number of years? We don't look at him the same way. Are we looking at our Lord? Has he become common to us? And I tell you, the Lord could never be common to us. There are always things that we can find out more and more about him. There are always ways to draw closer and closer to him. We're always yearning for him to draw closer and closer to us. Is that your heart? Say, Lord, I must have your presence. I must know you better. Every day that you walk with him, Are you yearning for him more and more and more? Or is he becoming familiar to you? When you come to church, oh, I've heard this one before. The good shepherd, okay, I've heard this like 15 times in the last two years. Or do you sit there in just an amazement? He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. The God that made all things, that made the universe, all the stars, the galaxies, everything that there is, is my shepherd and he knows my name. How awesome is that? How glorious is that? None of us should consider him as common. None of us should consider him as something that we've just experienced and we're done with. Just imagine for all of eternity gazing upon him. And never, never, ever quite knowing him as he ought to be known. Because there's so much to him. He's infinite. means limitless. You know, even in heaven, I don't think we'll ever grow weary of looking at him, staring at him. Well, this was like the, my favorite thing about going through the attributes of God last summer in the park was just realizing that we could stare at a sunset for hours on end, right? Well, not really hours because it's going to come up. I know you were totally thinking that. Thanks a lot for ruining that for me. But there are certain scenes that you could gaze at forever, right? Maybe it is a spot in the mountains and it's just so vast and you're just like, wow. But how much more beautiful, how much more lovely is our God? How much more worthy of awe and praise is our God? And just to know him, to gaze on him, to look at his beauty, to search the depths of his person, of who he is. That's why we should never grow tired of doing Bible study. You are relating with the God of the universe, finding out more and more about him. Every time I go through a book, every time I go through a chapter, I go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I know that I will never reach the bottom. Never. You're in big trouble if you think you got God figured out. Right? Thank him for what he has revealed to you, but then yearn for more. Desire more. Lord, I must know you. I must know you. Verse 4, it says, 
Back in John, it says, When he brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow them, follow him before they know his voice. And notice that he leads his sheep. So in Israel and the, in the Middle East, a lot of times the shepherd leads his sheep. He doesn't drive his sheep. And here in America, you know, we'd get horses or something or a truck. We just drive those sheep on, right? Drive them and push them, make them go where we want to go. But there, the sheep follow their shepherd. Right? They follow their shepherd. They trust him. They know him. So he doesn't have to drive them. Made me think of uh, Psalm 23, 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Why in the world would we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Where is Christ going to lead us? He says, he leads me, or I'm sorry, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Where did Jesus go? To the cross? To pain, suffering, to sacrifice? We're going to follow him there? Why would we do that? Why would we follow him through the valley of the shadow of death? Because he's already seen what's on the other side, right? He beat death for us. He already has the victory. Why would we not follow him is the question. Every day he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. Why? Because there is victory in that. There's victory in following Christ because he has conquered the cross. He's conquered sin and death. So we can follow him. We can take courage. Why can our brothers and sisters die for him right now out in other countries, in North Korea and Iran and you know, all these places in Iraq and where ISIS is and everything? Why can they die for him? Because there's victory in Jesus. Death does not stop us because we are following him, and it did not stop him. Then it said in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So they didn't understand, so Jesus is going to make it plain. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So here's the third I am statement. I am, okay? Ego M-A. Or in Hebrew, it would have been the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. I am that who I am. I am the door or the gate. So again, if you look at the picture, the shepherd's sitting in the gate. He is the door. No sheep can pass by him without him looking it over, inspecting it. Without him knowing that it's his sheep, right? And no sheep that's not his can come in. No sheep that's not his that can come in. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to go in some other way? You want to climb over the wall and get into his sheepfold because there's good grass there, there's good pasture there? Guess what? You can't do it. The only way to get in is to go by Jesus, to go through the door. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult or pressing is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So he's the gate. Also, he may be alluding to Psalm 118. Right? Psalm 118, Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. He is the gate. He is the door through which the righteous shall enter. 
Verse 8 in John, it says, All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. These are the false messiahs and teachers, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Essenes, all these, all these um, false shepherds. They're all thieves and robbers. They came before him. Think of the false messiahs. There were, in Jesus' day, there were a ton of false messiahs who had popped up before him. And they were all thieves and robbers. Jesus says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But again, you want to go your own way? You want to say, well, I'm going to go in through Buddha or Allah or Krishna or the Book of Mormon, anything else. You will not find your way in. Also, this is covenant language from God. He said this to somebody else. God said this. In Numbers chapter 27, Moses is going to die. He's going to go up to the mountain. He's going to um, see the promised land, and he's not going to be able to enter, right? Because he had struck the rock. So it says in verse 15 of Numbers 27, and I also wonder if there's a play on words here. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in. So the same kind of phraseology that Jesus uses. That the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep, which have no shepherd. Um, So now God's going to tell Moses who this is going to be. Numbers 27, 18. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Right? What is Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua. Joshua here is Yeshua, which means salvation. Right? So maybe there's a play on words here. Maybe he's pointing them back. They were to receive the promised land, right, when they crossed over the Jordan. And Jesus saying, my sheep will follow me. They will go in and out and find pasture. What are they going to receive? Heaven. Heaven. You know? It's kind of a beautiful thing that Jesus says here. Verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the thief, what's the thief going to do? To steal to kill and destroy. He's gonna, he wants to steal from the shepherd. He wants to take you out of the shepherd's hand, out of his care, right? He wants to entice you, and then he wants to slit your throat and take what is yours, what is yours that's supposed to glorify God, and he wants to glorify himself and destroy the image of God in you. Right? He wants to lead you into sin. He wants to corrupt the image of God in you. He wants you to look so, to look nothing like Jesus Christ. He wants your love to turn into bitterness. He wants your righteousness to turn into wickedness. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to destroy the shepherd's reputation, right? Because if you're a shepherd, your reputation depends on how you take care of those sheep. So if you let a thief come in, what happens? your reputation is lost. If you were a shepherd and you were hired by somebody, like David or in the book of Amos, it says they brought back an ear or a leg or something like that, showing that a wild animal had torn the sheep apart, so they bring it back and show it to the the owner of the sheep. 
to prove that it was a lion and he didn't just give it away to one of his buddies or tuck it away somewhere and steal it for himself. Right? The shepherd um, has to bring back and give an account for that sheep. But what does Jesus say at the end of John? He says, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Right? Nobody can pluck you out of my hand because he has grace upon grace upon grace for you. And he's always calling you back to himself. That's one of the great things. It's one of the scary things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, if you're one of his sheep and you stray, what's going to happen to you? He's going to continue to love you. He's going to come and find you and he's going to bring you back. And yes, it may be painful. It may be painful. If he has to kill me to bring me back, just take me right to heaven, then that's what he'll do. That's what he'll do. But Jesus has come to do what? So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In contrast to him, Jesus has come to give life and to give it more abundantly. That was really weak, by the way. Everybody should have said Okay, that was a little better. So Strong's Greek lexicon says of this word, it's in a sense of beyond superabundant in quality or superior in quality, by implication, excessive. Over-the-top life. You know, I think you fill up a cup and you just fill it overflowing life. Um, Fires, Greek lexicon says, over, over and above, more than is necessary, super added, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. And Barnes notes, and I love this, Bar- Albert Barnes, um, he's, he was a commentator, says, literally that they may have abundance or that which abounds. The word denotes that which is not absolutely essential to life, but which is super added to make life happy. They shall not merely have life, simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super added things which are needful to make that life eminently blessed and happy. It would, be, it would be vast mercy to keep men merely from annihilation or hell. But Jesus will give them eternal joy, peace, the society of the blessed, and those exalted means of blessedness which are prepared for them in the world of glory. So, just overabounding life. Are we going to receive it all here? No. We have something to look forward to, Right? But what are some of the ways God abounds life to us? Say one through grace. In Romans 15, 17 through 21, it says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one speaking of Adam, Adam's offense has reigned all the way from then until now. Every single one of us are sinners. We're proof of that. Okay, so even though the offense, um, even for even by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And then it says, therefore as one man's offense, therefore as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in com- condemnation. Even th- so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So by Jesus' righteous act, many were made righteous. By Adam's sinful act, many were made sinners. But it's like Jesus superabounds what Adam did. 
Also an abundance of grace for every good work, according to 2 Corinthians 9.8. An abundance of comfort, right? For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. Do you have so much comfort, comfort in Christ? I remember when I first became a Christian, and I was thinking, how could I ever be depressed again? I have so much comfort, so much joy, so much love that is abounding towards me. It's awesome, guys. We should never be a depressed people. I love the story of um, Martin Luther, the theologian, the German reformer, right? And his wife, his, her name was Kat or Katrina. He had been moping around the house for days on end, days on end, and he was just depressed. And so one day she dresses in all black like she's been to a funeral. And he comes in and he says, what's wrong with you? Who died? And she said, oh, God died, Dr. Luther. He says, what are you talking about, you crazy woman? What do you mean God died? And she says, well, he must have if Dr. Luther is so distraught and sad. You know, how could he be so depressed? And that woke him up right away. Isn't there, there's nothing better than a rebuke from your wife, right? Nothing better. It's just a good kick in the pants. But why would we ever be depressed when there's so much comfort in Christ? We're also abounding in thanksgiving towards him. Colossians 2, 6-7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Abounding in your faith with thanksgiving. When was the last time you just sat there and gave thanks to the Lord for everything? For your salvation, most of all. And men are always looking for the abundant life, right? We want a president who's going to give us an abundant life. We want health remedies and, you know, protein shakes and everything else to give us an abundant life. We want P90X to give us an abundant life. All these things. Our world wants sexual gratification and thinks that it will give them abundant life if they can just have their way. Right? We're seeing that today. You know what? If we just all live our lives the exact way we want to, or the way our sinful little flesh wants to live it, then we'll have this great little utopia here. And everybody can get along and be little perverts. I like what D.A. Carson says. He says, It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. That's a myth. You will never find the abundant life through anything in this world, but only through Jesus Christ. Only through him. You want principles and things for living from this pulpit, which we want to give, but I tell you what, that is in the shadow of Jesus Christ. That is in the shadow of his person, of his glory, of who he is. And Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The Old Testament tells us that the shepherd would be God, right? Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Who could God ever say, a man who is my companion? Other than himself. One who is like me. One who I have perfect fellowship with. The man who is my companion, he's speaking of Jesus because he is God. 
So awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. The shepherd is to be God. Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd. Right? Jesus is saying, I am that shepherd. I was David's shepherd. I am the shepherd of Israel. Because he's God. Verse 12 back in John, but the hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. So the shepherd, Jesus is, Jesus is our shepherd. He is our pastor. Pastor means shepherd, right? Some of you would call me pastor, call your pastor, pastor, right? Shepherd. Um, But he's our true shepherd. What am I? Really, I am a hireling. I try to be a good hireling, one who loves the Lord and loves his sheep, right? But that's what we are. But I love him because he first loved me, and I want him to receive all the glory that is due to him. So I should not act like a hireling, one who is just here to receive wages. 1 Peter 5, 2-4 says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And I have here in my notes a long rant, which I'm not going to go over the whole thing, about, <laughs> about um, you know, we got all these satellite churches now, where you go and you watch the pastor on the big screen. And I'm all for getting out the word any way you can. But how can you shepherd a people you've never seen? How can you be a pastor for somebody that you're not in their immediate presence? Now, we, are, we all listen to teaching on the radio or on our phones, podcasts, whatever it is, and that's good. Listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, but it's not church. Okay, going and watching a pastor on the big screen, that may not be church. I'm not convinced that it is. And I think we run the risk of glorifying man rather than God. All right? And I want so much more for you guys. So if there comes a time when you're called out of here, be careful what you're looking for. Be careful what you want out of a church. You want a church that glorifies the Lord, that teaches his word, that has integrity when it comes to the scriptures? That's what you must have. It doesn't matter what kind of programs they have or how many people go there or what kind of band they have. Is that church serving and glorifying Jesus Christ? And also thinking about hirelings, Calvary Chapel has really tried to guard against that. And the way that they've done that is by, okay, you feel like you're going to be, you want to be a pastor? And rather than finding a church that doesn't have a pastor, go be a pastor. Go plant a church. And you know what? You're going to pour into it, and God is going to weed out those false motives that you have, hopefully. You know, because every pastor probably gets into it and has something that's not right about their heart, Right? But the Lord completely annihilates that as you go through and you are serving him faithfully year after year, day after day, right? 
And so in Calvary Chapel, we believe that you go, you plant a church, and you're with that church until either one, the Lord's not behind it, and that's evident, and that church dies. You die, or the Lord definitely calls you somewhere else. Right? And that does happen. And so we try to guard against just being a hireling. I came from a, a denomination that had a lot of hirelings. And people would go around and they paid them a lot of money. I, I think one of my pastors, he made, you know, over six digits a year. Which, whatever, you know. I'm not going to get up in arms about that. I mean, if you guys want to pay me six digits a year, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm just kidding. No, but it, what it does is it causes hirelings. And you don't really care for the sheep. You're there for yourself. You're there to do a job. And you don't care for your shepherd. You don't care for the one you have to give an account for because your eyes are on this world. And so I'm thankful for Calvary Chapel doing that. Verse 15, we're almost there. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay my life down for the sheep. Isn't that awesome? Our shepherd lays himself down for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Just read Ephesians. The two peoples, there's two people groups in the world. You have Jews and Gentiles, right? Jews and non-Jews. And out of the two, God made one. One fold, one flock, right? The other sheep that he's speaking of here are the Gentiles. We are all Gentiles, so aren't you thankful that he said this? Then he says, therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. Again, another claim to, to deity. He has life within himself, right? Jesus does. And who has that but God himself? Verse 18, no one takes it from me, that is his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. And why did he receive this command from his father? For you to pay the penalty for your sins, to die for you. Your shepherd has laid down his life for you. How much glory does he deserve from you in your life? How much love should you give him? Verse 19, Therefore there was a division among them, again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? So they're holding Jesus in contempt. He's just a crazy demon-possessed guy. Just ignore him is what they're saying. Others said, these are not the words of the one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we went over last week how we know that he, only God opens the eyes of the blind, right? From the scriptures. So let's leave off with this. Who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? I love Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. If you've never read it, um, let me know if you want to. We'll order it for you. Um, it's just, it's a quick read, it's small, but it's a shepherd who looks at the 23rd Psalm and just goes over it. But in that, he says that there was another shepherd who lived close to him. And this shepherd had horrible looking sheep. He was a foolish shepherd. He didn't take care of his sheep. He didn't love his sheep. Instead, they weren't um, shorn. He didn't shear his sheep, right? He didn't cut down their wool. And what happens when you don't cut the wool off a sheep? They become a cast sheep. They're too heavy. They can't walk. They fall over on their back and they can't get up. All the circulation goes out of their legs. Gases build up in their stomachs until they eventually die. Right? They're dirty. They're fat. They're not eating good food. 
He keeps them in a mud pen, and he doesn't take them around to different pastures, right, to eat good food, because a sheep will completely decimate an area. They will just eat and eat and eat and create um, uh, trails and ruts and everything else in that area, just like us. We just keep going over the same thing over and over and over and over again, thinking that something's going to change, right? But can people tell that you belong to a good shepherd? Are you always tired? Are you always worn out? And you have to wonder if you're following the shepherd. Are you always distraught and distressed and stressed out? Are you following a good shepherd? So let's pray. So Father, um, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. You have been our good shepherd. You've loved us abundantly, Lord. You've given us life, abundant life. I can't wait to that day that we see you and we get to stare at you, Lord, to, to gaze on your beauty. So right now we see him as, a gla- as in a glass dimly, but then we shall see face to face. How glorious will it be, Lord? Help us to look forward to that day. Help us to take courage because we know that you already have the victory. You've gone before us and you're leading your sheep into glory. So we praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In your name, Jesus, amen.